On Sunday, Scotland's former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon was arrested as part of a criminal investigation into the finances of her party, the SNP. Sturgeon, who quit as Scotland's First Minister and SNP leader in March, is the third person to be arrested as part of Operation Branch Form, the Police Scotland investigation. Scottish police are trying to get to the bottom of a missing £666,000, which had been donated to the party and remained unaccounted for in the SNP's books. The former First Minister protests her innocence and says she's confident she's done nothing wrong. Police had 12 hours to question Sturgeon. She was released without charge shortly before 5.30 on Sunday afternoon. It's an unbelievable thing in Scottish politics to see her now, you know, a suspect in a criminal investigation, arrested as part of that investigation and an investigation about financial impropriety. Um, It's just very, very difficult to underestimate just how much of uh, uh, an earthquake that is in Scottish politics. Mark Paul is the Irish Times London editor. He's been reporting on the story and he explains the wider impact her arrest will have on the party. It's, it's opened up divisions, further divisions within the SNP as a political party. Um, it's also cast an unwelcome light onto how the, the Nicola Sturgeon's successor, Humza Yousaf, um, um, is handling the issue. And it just contributes to this growing sense that Scottish politics has been an absolute basket of drama for the last number of months and, uh, and, and, and that the whole thing just seems to be going haywire. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, why was Nicola Sturgeon arrested and what does it mean for the future of the SNP? So, Mark, you reported that on Saturday morning, Nicola Sturgeon, she tweeted that she just passed her driving theory test with a perfect score. But then on Sunday morning... Things took a bit of a different turn. What happened? So on Sunday morning, um, Nicola Sturgeon, who was Scotland's first minister for nine years until she stepped down earlier this year, um, she was arrested on Sunday. Um, so she met the police by arrangement, uh, went to a police station uh, and was arrested by police who were investigating um, the finances of the Scottish National Party. And there's £660,000 in donations that were given to the party to fund a new independence referendum. And those donations at the moment um, have yet to be accounted for. Um, now, this investigation has been running on since 2021, but it's really blown up in the last couple of months. Back in April, uh, Nicola Sturgeon's husband, Peter Murrell, um, who was the SNP's chief executive, uh, he was also arrested as part of the same investigation. And, uh, and at around that time, another gentleman called Colin Beatty, um, who was the party's treasurer, he was also arrested. And then Nicola Sturgeon, Peter Murrell and Colin Beatty are the three people who signed off on the SNP's annual accounts. Um, and this £660,000 that was collected for an independence referendum, nobody at the moment seems to know where that money is. So this investigation is ongoing um, and, and Nicola Sturgeon was arrested on Sunday in question for seven hours. So the it's called Operation Blanchform, um, the, the, the investigation into the accounts. But just incidentally, who donated the money and why? 
So, so the money was donated by party supporters and supporters of Scottish independence. Um, in the, in the period after Brexit, um, when, I mean, you know, in the immediate aftermath of Brexit, um, um, Remainers and people across Britain were up in arms, of course, and, and Scottish nationalists used this as a kind of a, a fundraising opportunity. They said, look, if, uh, if Scotland uh, is going to be pulled out of the European Union by its own will, by, uh, you know, against its will by the English, maybe we should fundraise for a new referendum and we'll make a push for a new referendum and we'll try and get back into Europe. And that was the background, the context to it. Um, so they raised uh, this money from party. It was basically small donations raised online, but £660,000. Now, the intention was to have a new independence referendum um, and to force one, you know, whether or not Westminster agreed. But the UK Supreme Court has cut off that route. Um, so there can only be a referendum if it's granted by Westminster. So there hasn't been an independence referendum. But somebody, somebody eagle-eyed, noticed that in the 2019 SNP accounts, uh, that there was only £97,000 in cash. Uh, on the balance sheet and 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 this money this 660 actually 666 thousand pounds that kind of an ominous number mm. um 666 somebody noticed you know that cash was supposed to be ring fenced where did it go what was it spent on and um, now nobody knows what it was spent on but it's a uh, it's it's an enormous issue i mean to see nicola sturgeon the, the absolute towering figure of scottish politics uh there was a picture of her online actually i think uh, uh you know on her way to the police station and to see her arrested and to hear her talk about being arrested i mean it's just shocking for people in britain and in scotland in particular and it's also worth saying i suppose at this juncture that afterwards she issued a statement on twitter and she was very clear she said i am certain i have committed no offense she did. She said, I am innocent of any wrongdoing. And um, she said it was very distressing. Now, um, Nicola Sturgeon was always a very astute media manager. Um, um, she was arrested at about, about half past 10 on Sunday morning. And um, she was released at about half past five. She released that statement at about half past six, just as print newspapers would have been getting their print editions for the next day ready uh, and finalizing their headlines and looking at all of that. So the, you know, the statement, I am innocent, um, and she knew full well that would be splashed across the front of every newspaper the following day instead of Nicola Sturgeon arrested. Um, and of course, that's what happened. But look, she has asserted, very, very strongly asserted her innocence. Um, she was released without charge pending further investigation. Peter Murrell and, and Colin Beatty were also released without charge pending further investigation. But it's, it's, it's worth pointing out that you know, police arrest people as suspects in, in a criminal investigation um, and they don't arrest witnesses. So, so, so that's kind of the background to all of this. You know, this investigation has been going on since 2021. An interesting kind of side story to all of this is the question as to whether or not um, this rumbling police investigation contributed towards Nicola Sturgeon's decision to step down in February. She actually stepped down in March, but she announced it in February. Uh, at the time, she said it had absolutely no bearing on it. She said nothing could be further from the truth. But look, the, the fact remains that she stepped down and the arrest of her husband and then her arrest came after that and not whilst she was first minister, and which I suppose is fortuitous for her in one way. I know when you, you mentioned when, when she stepped down and she said, uh, look, uh, it's, I've given it my all. Uh, politics is very mm. demanding. And then the next thing we see is their blue tents outside her house in Scotland because her husband has been taken in for questioning. He was qu questioned mm -hmm. for 12 hours about mm -hmm. this financial SNP impropriety. Let's give you a sense as to the scale of this uh, inquiry and we'll walk down the street. Of course, there are a number of police vehicles here. The front room there is shielded by a police barrier and within that blue tent 
is where the evidence is being gathered. And I mean, what struck me about that, those scenes that we were witnessing, was that there was sort of, and I, I know it's been called unjustified theatrics, because you see these blue tents in the garden of the suburban home. This surely, if if it is a crime, if there is a crime, it's a white collar crime. I don't think we've seen it like something like a crime drama where they're digging up bones. You know, it is extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, when Peter Murrell was uh, arrested in April, the month after she actually finished her term as, as uh, or finished her time as as first minister of Scotland. Yeah, you're right. They they, they searched um, Peter Murrell and and Nicola Sturgeon's marital home in Glasgow, and they erected this enormous blue evidence tent outside, which is a very very you know it's a visual thing. I mean, they know it's going to be seen by the TV cameras. I mean, you know, perhaps there was some absolute reason why they had to do that. I mean, there was a guy pictured one stage walking in with a shovel um which 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 made it seem like they were going into the you know i mean i mean you know in a, in a joking way it made it seem like they were going into the garden of rose west or something like that you know i mean i mean but but it was since said afterwards that that look you know he wasn't actually going in there with a shovel to dig anything up in the garden it was just for some part of the business of erecting a tent or whatever um but but also um the police also in a very very what looks like what you could say might be a performative action um, they also searched in a high profile way the headquarters of the SNP. And in another thing that really caught the eye, um, as part of their investigation, the police removed a luxury motorhome worth £110,000 from outside Nicola Sturgeon's mother-in-law's house, from outside outside the house of, of Peter Murrell's elderly mother. You know, there were suggestions that this bus had been bought at one stage and was intended to be a battle bus for the SNP in an independence referendum. But what was the use for? Who actually owned it? Um, funnily enough, after that happened, Colin Beatty, who was arrested at around, the, the former treasurer, who was arrested at around the same time as Peter Murrell, um, he said he had no idea that this bus had been bought for that purpose. So the whole thing gets murkier and murkier. But look, nobody has been charged yet, and we should reiterate that and keep reiterating it. Nobody has been charged with a crime. and um, The investigation remains ongoing. But the actual details of the investigation are very sketchy. And mm-hmm. the investigation's been going on for a while. There's no specific end date, or or is there? Or is the fact that Nicola Sturgeon was called in for questioning a sign that the conclusion is in sight? Well, I think the fact that details are sketchy is is a function primarily of this contempt law they have in Scotland. In Ireland, um, when somebody is arrested, the media and people and commentators generally are quite free to talk about it and to talk about what's happening. But it's only at the point if and when somebody is charged that really contempt laws kick in in Ireland and you have to be really, really careful on what you say in case you prejudice the case. In Scotland, that kicks in the moment somebody is arrested. So what you often find from politicians and commentators in Scotland, the people who would know the details of all of this, um, is that, you know, look, I just cannot comment on a live police investigation. So I think that's one of the reasons, to be honest with you, why the details are so sketchy. But you're right, there's not a lot known. It, it, It has been suggested by the police that a report will go to um, they have a special fiscal prosecutor in Scotland um, um, who will recommend whether or not charges are brought. And we don't know whether or not charges will be brought. But look, this investigation has been going on now for um, not quite two years, almost two years. This investigation has been rumbling on. But it was a little bit like climbing a ladder when you when you started to see the the trajectory of the arrests. I mean, there was three people, only three people who signed off on those 2019 accounts. You know, they started to arrest those people one by one. Peter Murrell, then came Colin Beatty. And in a sense, 
Although it was shocking that Nicola Sturgeon was arrested, it wasn't a surprise in one sense. I mean, if they were climbing up the ladder of people who had signed off on those accounts, you, you know, you would form the opinion that, that they'd want to speak to Nicola Sturgeon at some stage. The police still have a case to solve and they have to see if a crime has been committed, what this money has been spent on. Was it spent on things that it shouldn't have been spent on? Was it spent on things inside or outside of the party? None of these things are known. So, look, we should wait and see what happens with the investigation. If they've arrested the former First Minister of Scotland, um, you would imagine you don't do something like that unless you're pretty advanced in your investigation. It's not your first port of call as an investigating officer. I'll continue my conversation with Mark Paul after this short break. Do you have any sense of the impact, what kind of impact this will have on Sturgeon's reputation? You know, she says she's taken a few days off to process what's happened, but she says she's going to be back in Parliament next week. Yeah, yeah, she remains a member of the Scottish Parliament. Um, um, but th- and that's contentious, isn't it? That's, that's now starting to bubble under as a contentious thing. What's starting to become contentious is the fact that she hasn't been suspended as a member of the SNP. And when Nicola Sturgeon was First Minister, there, she kind of set a, a precedent. Anytime anybody was, was the subject of any sort of an investigation or vet police investigation or anything like that, um, they had the whip removed from them in, as a member of the Scottish Parliament or were suspended from the party whilst the investigation was ongoing. And But it seems that hasn't been applied to her. Like, for example, you know, very, very soon after she was arrested, um, there was a, an MP, now not a member of the Scottish Parliament, a member of the Parliament in Westminster, an SNP MP called Angus McNeil, um, who basically said, look, Nicola Sturgeon suspended people from the, par- from the party for an awful lot less, so why hasn't she been suspended? Um, since then, you've had people coming out like Michelle Thompson, uh, who is an MSP. Michelle Thompson is a solicitor. Um, and a couple of years ago, the police were investigating property dealings to do with her law firm. And even though they said at the time that Michelle Thompson wasn't a subject of that investigation, and actually no wrongdoing was found, um, she was suspended from the party. Um, and she has come out and pointed to that. Ivan McKee, another a guy who served as a, as a as a minister under Nicola Sturgeon, he's come out and said, "Look, what's the story here? Why hasn't she been suspended?" Now, both Michelle Thompson and Ivan McKee are, are, are linked to Kay Forbes, a, a kind of a power broker now in the SNP. That's a kind of a separate story. Um, so you also have people coming out who would have been opposed to Nicola Sturgeon politically within the SNP. People like Ash Regan, who ran for the leadership afterwards, um, and she's come out and said, "You know, what, what's the story here? You know, the Scottish Tories have said, why hasn't she been suspended?" The, the, the decision to suspend her, unless she voluntarily steps away from the party, that will be taken by the party leader, Humza Yousaf. And now Humza Yousaf, who won the campaign, the leadership campaign to replace her, he is um, so close to Nicola Sturgeon as to be almost indivisible. He painted his campaign to replace her as the continuity regime from Nicola Sturgeon. Um, and he looks, in a piece of commentary, he looks weak, I think, after this. Um, does he have the strength to actually take his political mentor and suspend her from the party? Um, and should they come up with new rules um, to cover situations like this? So there are divisions opening up in the SNP. It's not a happy camp. Um, they're not a happy bunch. Things like this put such a strain on the party that um, um, old fissures uh, are, are widened. So the SNP, the party has dominated Scottish politics for years. Mm. 
Is there a sense now that what the SNP's difficulties will be Labour's opportunity? The Conservatives aren't very very strong in Scotland, but Labour is the is the chasing party, isn't it? Labour's the chasing party, and at the moment, Labour only has one MP. There's there's I think something like fifty nine MPs in Scotland. Labour has only one of them. Um, the SNP has forty five. Then the Tories have a couple, and there's a couple with Alba, another party. Um, so there is a sense that the SNP's difficulty is Labour's opportunity. Because if Labour is to win an overall majority in the UK elections next year, there's a sense that it has to do well in Scotland. And they fancy their chances of taking back about 20 seats up there. Now, the SNP's current scandals and difficulties and all of that has contributed towards it. But there was already a resurgence of Labour in the polls in Scotland. Anyway, I mean, there have been questions raised over the SNP's handling of the health service. One thing I have noticed since I came to London in January is that Reporting in the English media of events in Scotland is very, very, very one-sided. I mean, Scottish nationalists, when they picture them in the newspapers down in London, I'm surprised they don't put horns on their head and give them a fork and tail. Um, um, anybody who's a Scottish nationalist is really portrayed in a very negative light in Britain. But it is neutral and fair observation to say that there are some problems in Scotland. Um, and, and the SNP has been in governance since 2007. And so it's effectively a one-party state in a way not completely maybe that's a little harsh um, at the moment they, they don't even have a majority in the Scottish Parliament they, they, they govern in a sort of a partnership with the Greens but um, it, it, it's for all intents and purposes they dominate everything up there um, and, and Labour now fancy their chances of, of grabbing back more than 20 seats into Westminster elections but the real power in Scottish politics isn't in Westminster it's in Holyrood in Edinburgh and those elections don't place, take place until 2026 But if Humza Yousaf, if his leadership of the SNP doesn't show that they can hold off some of Labour's surge in next year's Westminster elections, he mightn't get to lead them into 2026. So there's a lot to play for in Scotland. Labour fancy their chances. Um, The Conservatives look like they'll be blown away. And and, and the SNP are on the back foot from, from every angle. They're on the back foot. We are here as representatives of Scotland's independence movement, a movement that will grow in numbers with every day that passes. Now, the SNPs, their their big policy, their number one policy was independence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you couldn't look at Nicola Sturgeon without thinking that. She was very clear. She was very vociferous. She talked about it all the time. What is the SNP's strategy as regarding independence now? They don't have one. And that's not just a piece of commentary. That's fact. They don't have a strategy. They're trying to come up with a new one. Their strategy was to, to have their own independence referendum, whether or not Westminster approved of it, and then take the, the, the result of that, West, that, that, that referendum, you know, assuming they won it, um, um, down to London and to sort out the issue of, of independence for Scotland. The UK Supreme Court has cut that off. It's illegal. There is no way they can have an independence referendum unless it is granted to them by the UK government. So that means it has to be done by negotiation. Now the precedent uh, is that and, and this is a precedent in British politics going right back to the 70s, to the time of Harold Wilson. Margaret Thatcher even accepted this precedent. If it can be shown that there is a likelihood or some sort of a majority view for independence in Scotland that a referendum will be granted to them and that they won't just keep them locked in the basement downstairs, that, that you know, they'll let them go free if, if if there's a suggestion of this. Now, in 2014, there was an independence referendum. What happened in there was in 2012, the Conservatives were running 
a, a minority government, well, actually in coalition with the Liberal Democrats, there was a huge majority. The SNP were winning huge majorities up in Edinburgh under Alex Salmond. And Alex Salmond went down and negotiated with David Cameron. Listen, just give us our referendum. Cameron, you know, being the sort of gambler that he is and that he showed when he granted a Brexit referendum, he granted them a Scottish referendum and almost lost it. Um, um, you know, it was 45% vote for independence. When that referendum was granted, the, the support for independence for Scotland was only 28%. So it, it pushed up during the thing. He almost lost it. As, as Alex Salmon said to me um, and when I met him recently, um, he said, you know, in between frequent trips to the bathroom, David Cameron was ringing everybody in Europe to try and get help um, um, to, 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 to win this referendum. He was ringing the Queen. He was ringing people <laughs> in the EU, everybody. Um, so the strategy now has been cut off by the Supreme Court. So they're having on June the 24th, the SNP, a kind of a party think in to think about a new strategy, what they might do. And then they'll decide on a new strategy at their conference in October. What was suggested by Nicola Sturgeon before she left was that they would use next year's Westminster's ref- general election as a kind of a pseudo referendum, a kind of a, a substitute for a referendum. If there was another huge majority of nationalist MPs in favour of independence, they would go to Westminster and say, look, there's a majority view here for a referendum. Our politicians are majority for it. Give us another one. But at the moment, as you point out, it is the core issue of the SNP and they don't know where to turn on it really. They don't have a strategy for independence and that's making some of their um, most ardent supporters a little nervous, I think. I think uh, Yusuf is, you know, he's learning a hard lesson that we need to take over from a, a charismatic, really popular, very high profile leader that they never really go away. <laughs> and uh, if you look at Westminster for a moment, Rishi Sunak learned that last weekend with, you know, Boris Johnson's flouncing off. We're talking midweek now, Mark. And while mm-hmm. it looked like Sunak might have been heading for choppy waters on Saturday and Sunday, it looks like he's weathered it, has it, or has he? He has. He he has pretty much come out on top, but I think it's a pyrrhic victory, and and I'll explain why. Um, I mean, look, what what happened before last weekend was that Boris Johnson quit as an MP. Um, um, he said that he thought that it was a kangaroo court of of an inquiry into him around for holding parties in Downing Street during COVID, and he also got into a row with Rishi Sunak over his resignation honours list. Um, uh, people he wanted to appoint to the House of Lords weren't allowed to go in, and you know he got you know he wanted to give his father a knighthood. He couldn't give his father a knighthood. And he got to be a bit of a, he had a bit of a row with Rishi Sunak over that. So there was this suggestion over the weekend that Boris Johnson was going to cause all sorts of hell for Rishi Sunak um, um, and uh, and be a thorn in the side, and there was going to be a big rebellion, and loads of Boris Johnson's uh, followers were going to resign, and there'd be all these by elections that Rishi Sunak would have to fight. But it didn't really materialize. And you're right, Rishi Sunak has emerged the victorious one, and sort of in this battle for influence. But I don't think in the long run, it's going to do him any good at all. Because what this row has reminded the British electorate of is the fact that um, the Tories are drama-rama. Um, and they are they are the drama rama party. They are they are the party of infighting of 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 politicians at each other's throats. Um, I mean to see Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson fighting in public over whether or not Nadine Dorries gets a seat in the House of mm. Lords. When you have a cost of living crisis, when you have inflation falling slower than anywhere else in Europe, um, when you have, um, you know, a, a, a country whose rivers are, are flooded with sewage, when you have a country with problems all over the house, um, and here they are rowing over who gets a seat in the House of Lords, I think it reminds the British public that 
you know what, there's a lot of drama here, maybe we'll try the next guys. And that in the long run, it'll benefit the Labour Party. Well, the COVID inquiry in the UK is starting this week, so I think it's fair to say uh, this is not the last we've heard of Boris Johnson. That we, I suspect, Mark, you'll be back talking to us here at In The News about what's going on in the COVID inquiry and Boris's role there. So we look forward to that. Uh, but meanwhile, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks, Bernice. That's it for today. For more UK coverage from Mark Paul, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.